0: Chris, I'm doing great, man, and that's so nice of uh, you to say. Of course, my coach, T.P. Tom Patrick, top 100 teacher who's helped me uh, with my game for many years, and it's, uh, it's a love fest. It's a mutual admiration society. Indeed it is.
1: And when uh, T.P. was on a little bit earlier tonight, he talked about how back in the day, you uh, you got to play Oakmont, which led you to, to meeting Bob Ford, which ultimately led you the TP and him helping you with your game. Talk about sort of that sequence of events.
0: Yeah, this would have been like 2008, 2009 or so. I was actually at the Masters tournament and uh, a member at Oakmont named Alan Citrun. I'm very good friends with him to this day. Um, I did like a little corporate speaking outing and uh, he liked what I said. I had some stories about Tiger and Phil and covering. The PGA tour for the times and, and he said, Hey, have you ever played Oakmont? And I was like, no, you know, I, I really haven't. I'd love to play it at some point. And yeah. just spot literally. We exchanged numbers. Come play Oakmont at some point. Uh, you know, get to play one of the great gems of, of the country. And sure enough, I did. I think I spent a weekend there and got to meet the, the great Bob Ford, who at the time was the head professional at both Seminole and Oakmont, two of the great spots in the country. And I was, uh, you know, as we all are, trying to get a little bit better with my game, a little tighter with my game. I was living in New York at the time, and you know, it been fun to take lessons from Bob Ford, but New York's far away from from Pittsburgh. I said, so uh, you know, Mr. Ford, living in the New York area, give me a name of someone I-, I should see, and he didn't even hesitate. Said Tom Patrick, who at the time was at Friars Head and was at Westchester before that, and uh, that's been uh, the beginning of a long and and great, not just Teacher student relationship, a friendship. We talk a lot about family. We talk a lot about sports and life. And, and uh, whenever I get a chance to be around Tom, um, often in Naples, he really, really helps me with my game. He leans on me to send him V1 video. He just is, is one of those folks that has seen everything. He's someone who's just given countless hours of lessons. He's seen every swing style shape, tall players, short players you know, long in the tooth, newbies, juniors, seniors, you name it, uh, Tom Patriots coasted, So uh, I feel very, very blessed and fortunate to have uh, someone of his ilk in my corner.
1: Damon, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to look ahead to this week's tournament at the Memorial. I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan, and he's come under some scrutiny lately because of his support for Donald Trump. And Being sued by Emigrant Bank, which he sold his publicity rights and trademarks to, their concern appears to be about anything that Jack would do to damage the Nicholas brand. Like if he were to get involved with the Saudi league, we know he said he wouldn't endorse that. But as, as a Nicholas fan, for those of us who are, is there anything for us to be concerned when we think about his reputation and the things going on sort of away from the golf course?
0: I don't think so. It's interesting. He had a press conference today in Dublin, uh the site of his memorial tournament at Muirfield Village and was uh pretty much right off the bat saying I'm I'm here to talk about this week in the golf tournament. I, I think in this era that we live in is it, so much strife and folks have been backed into their specific corners politically, you know, someone'll tell you that the sky is blue, someone else will tell you that it's green and I, I think that there's been a, a, a lack and loss of civility and I think with social media exacerbating things in many situations. I I think if you got rid of social media, if most people sat around a dinner table and had a conversation, you'd find there's a lot more agreement on issues than disagreement, whether you're talking about politics or life. I think most people just want to have a safe place for their family and and a good future for their kids. So as far as Jack is concerned, when when I try to cover him and look at him, it's mostly as, as the man and his accomplishments on the golf course, his contributions to the game. I think he tried to keep his press conference very much about the golf course and the tournament this week and folks like John Rahm, Rory McIlroy being in the field, and he kind of refused to, to step into anything about the political realm or or the, the lawsuit with the Nicholas companies. And listen, if you live long enough, you're going to have, you know, uh, a bit of a paper trail or comments or things that you said that could come back and invite you. At some point, but I think for most people who are golf fans, they try to look at the the uh, 73-time PGA Tour winner, the 18-time major champ, the prolific golf course architect, and, and someone who uh, the late great Dave Anderson told me was one of the two best quotes he ever spoke to in sports, the other being Muhammad Ali. So, in my time as a journalist, and I've been to to Jack and Barbara's home and did a feature a long time ago on Barbara. Uh, of course, Sports Illustrated magazine, and Jack was sitting with us in the kitchen. Uh, so I've been around him. I've had some terrific interviews with him. And, you know, wherever he sits politically and, and whatever those things are, I, I try to, in my job, and my role as a co-host on on Golf Today, uh, I, I try to keep it pretty uh, uh apolitical as much as I can. Are you going to be in Dublin for the memorial? Chris, I've been so often. It's one of my favorite stops. I'm not going this year. It's the opposite the U.S. Women's Open, and also the NCAA, so we've got reporters and cameras kind of spread far and wide, so I won't get the opportunity to go have a Buckeye milkshake as I have in the past. One of my favorite stops of the year, and you know it's been kind of Jack's kind of ode to his childhood where he grew up uh, outside of Columbus, where he used to go hunt for fish and, and, and look for animals, and of course also his ode to Augusta National, a lot of the same vibe in terms of the caddy bibs that are white and the reachable risk-reward par fives and just kind of the presentation of the golf course has that bit of a sprinkling and a a feel of Augusta National where he won six green jackets. So I won't be there this week, but I've been there. I've had the the opportunity to have lunch in that clubhouse. I've kind of wowed away the hours occasionally when there's been a thunderstorm to pop up from time to time, but I've always enjoyed my time uh, in Dublin.
1: Okay, so you mentioned the milkshake. Gotta tell me which one's your favorite.
0: The Buckeye is great, but I'm kind of a fan of vanilla. Since I was a kid, I, I love French vanilla ice cream. And, and so anytime there's an option, you know, whether it's the Buckeye or if I go into a Baskin Robbins or these days the Ben and Jerry's and I got to choose between the chocolate and the vanilla or the, the mint or the, the bubble gum or the Sciatella. I mean, there's all these different kinds of of ice creams these days and in milkshakes, but if I had to choose, you know, and I could only have one, I felt like I had to try the Buckeye. You're in the Buckeye State, you know. Nicholas went to Ohio State, and the Buckeye is a very popular milkshake. But for me, and for my dollar, I could have like five or six vanilla milkshakes and be very happy uh, during my week <laughs> at the Memorial Tournament.
1: <laughs> and Damon, you mentioned John Rahm a minute ago. Patrick Cantley has officially won two of the last three Memorial tournaments. But I think we all believe John Rahm would have won it last year if he hadn't been forced to withdraw after the third round due to a a positive COVID test. He had a six-stroke lead. He would have then won the tournament in back-to-back years. A couple of weeks ago, he wins the Mexico Open. Is he the favorite coming into this
0: week? Do you like Cantlay? Who's your favorite? Yeah, John Rahm is my favorite. I think the way he handled last year coming off that, 54 hole lead, six shots and not being able to play that final round. And he goes out two weeks later and wins the U.S. Open. I think a lot of us, uh, learned a lot about John Rahm during that two week stretch. And also that story seemed to transcend golf. I had some buddies who are kind of loose golf fans, pay attention during the majors. They love how John Rahm handled that situation. Uh, he's a past champ there, would have had two memorial titles had last year turned out differently. I think that he has to be considered the favorite, the way he hits the golf ball, the way he handles par five. We've seen historically, whether you're talking about Tiger Woods, A, in terms of how he handles that golf course, but you see the, the same names seem to pop up there quite a bit. In the past, it would be Ernie Els. These days, it's the Cantlays, the Roms, the Hideki Matsuyama. It's Justin Rose has a terrific record around there as well. I just think John Rahm, uh, considering the win in Mexico earlier this year, considering that we're two weeks away from another major championship, that uh, the way last year ended, it would be almost poetic uh, for you to come back and get a second Memorial title this week in Dublin.
1: And, Damon, we're a little over a week north of uh, this year's PGA Championship, and I even think the staunchest Justin Thomas fan would feel badly about how the 72nd hole played out there. What are your thoughts about how Mito Pereira lost it on the last hole?
0: Yeah, I was so tough to watch. Anyone who's watched major championships knows that it's not over until that 72nd hole. And for whatever reason, seeing Mito, it reminded me of Kenny Perry at the Masters uh, back in 2009, trying to hold off uh, Angel Cabrera and, and Chad Campbell. You know, that year, Kenny Perry birdied the 16th hole, and then he bogeyed 17 and 18, and he was sitting in... Yeah, uh, the, uh, the media center afterwards and just said, you know, maybe I'm not to win, not meant to win this. And Talked about his right hand getting a little bit active on some chip shots late on that Sunday afternoon. And it was a reminder to me that man, it is hard to win major championships. And here's Mito with his best friend, Joaquin Neiman up on that hill pacing, you know, living and dying with every shot. And there he is on the 72nd hole after leading that putt. On 17, just a half roll short. If that putt falls, he's got a two shot lead and maybe he hits iron or three would off that tee Instead, he hits driver, which, you know, he has been hitting that fade all day and you could see he stepped up there and then hit it pretty quickly and he immediately recoils and the ball goes to the right. And he says later, you know, I didn't feel nervous, but pressure makes your body do things that you don't always expect. And just one of those sad moments and things start speeding up and then You know, he's hitting three and he, of course, doesn't hit the green and he doesn't hit a good chip shot. He has to hold a fifth and he misses that. It's just, that's just the way golf can be sometimes. It it can leave you out there like, uh, someone who's lost his dog or, or like you've been embarrassed. It's just one of those games. It's a beautiful game. I, I love the, I love the triumph, but I also love the heartbreak. It's just part of, of what makes golf so captivating and compelling. Good on Mito for bouncing back and having a solid week in Fort Worth at the, uh, Charles Swap Challenge this past week, uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. But man, uh, it was very compelling theater a couple Sundays ago at Southern Hills and, and Mito joins a long list of, you know, of, of players, whether you're talking about a Scott Hoke or an Ed Seed or a Kenny Perry or, or someone else. You know, Greg Norman, of course, was a two time major champ, uh, had a bunch of, Sunday banana peels as it were you know t- tournaments that slip through his fingers and you know we add Mito Pereira to that list but hopefully young enough in his career we'll have some other opportunities down the road.
1: Damon we've seen Tiger try to will his way around Augusta National and then around Southern Hills for the PGA Championship. He does a great job with the mind over pain thing for for two rounds but but then walking on that bad leg up and down the hills at Augusta National, as you know, it's it's, it's much more undulated uh, than what TV does justice to. And then we saw it again at Southern Hills. Hard to watch because he's obviously in a lot of pain. The country club outside of Boston isn't going to be any different for the U.S. Open. Do you expect to see him there? Do you think he waits until the Open Championship at St. Andrews because it's a much flatter walk? Or when do you think we see Tiger Woods again?
0: Yeah, if I was part of Team Tiger, I would advise him, and I'm no doctor. I don't even play one on TV, but I, I would tell him to sit it out. I, I just feel like the turnaround's too quick from that PGA Championship. Uh So strange to see Tiger having to withdraw and not play a final round after making the cut. I just think it's strange to see someone who had such command over not just his own game, but seemingly the golf course and everything around it and the The golf course seemed to tilt in whatever direction Tiger wanted it to, and that's just not the terms of the deal anymore uh, with this leg injury that he's having to play through and then rehab and take ice baths and epsom salts and do whatever else he has to do just to get his body ready to play the next day. I know how much the old course means to him. It's the site of his 2000 and 2005 Open Championship victories. It's the 150th Open. I would be surprised if Tiger did anything to jeopardize him having the best shot to play a very flat golf course where he can hit irons and not have to worry about, you know, trying to hit golf balls off of, you know, uphill, downhill, chewy, you know, meaty, gnarly, uh, New England lies, as you might find um, in Brookline in a couple of weeks. I just think that for someone who loves and has professed his love for St. Andrews the way that Tiger Woods has, it would be a bit of a risk for him, I think, to try to get ready for a national championship which is going to ask his body and his game some very difficult questions and then try to turn around and fly up to the uh, old course and try to compete to win another Claire John.
1: Damon, with all the controversy surrounding Phil Mickelson now, how much permanent damage has been done to he and his reputation?
0: Yeah, I think, I think permanent's a bit strong considering what the Tiger Woods has been able to do. I mean, I was at that Masters tournament. You think about the The difficulties he's had, some brought on by himself. Well, obviously the scandal in 2009 and coming back from, you know, less, well, you know, worrisome things in terms of a life standpoint, but chipping yips and back surgeries are no small thing either, not to mention this latest car accident and to see and hear the adulation on a Monday practice round at Augusta where shots were being cheered and and the applause, uh, the thanks that these Gallery members felt the patrons for Tiger just putting his body back together, and the scandal and, and, the, and the occasional um, you know setbacks seemed to fade to the distance as, as Tiger was being loved and adored and appreciated as opposed to the awe and the kind of distance that Tiger sometimes had uh, with his fans. That being said, I think Phil Mickelson similarly, he's in a very sticky wicket right now, uh, some poor choice of words. Uh, calling the PGA Tour obnoxiously greedy, uh, considering it has been uh, remarkably good to him, uh, a place for him to apply his trade, win six major championships, be incredibly handsomely paid off the golf course, able to make a, a living and have a private jet, and obviously earn those things, but to hear him lash out at the PGA Tour are very, very strange. Some of his comments about Saudi Arabia and knowing the way that the, the regime treats gay people, and uh, and what they did to the Washington Post reporter, and kind of speaking flippantly about it, really just a poor choice of words. That being said, I think most Americans and sports fans are a forgiving lot. We've seen it for time immemorial that uh, the comeback story is a popular thing in our country, especially in the realm of sports. Uh, should Phil Mickelson uh, apologize, maybe in a in a better way, kind of take stock of the situation. And decide to, to have another run at the PGA tour. I would think that, uh, that the folks would be ultimately letting the time pass and forgive Phil Mickelson, who for the most part, very good with the fans, good with his time has been, uh, an asset to the professional game of golf. So I think he's in a poor spot now. I was surprised at some of the comments he made, but I would say that there, it's not, uh, not fair to say that there's no way out of this moment. Uh, for the World Golf Hall of Fame member.
1: Damon, Scotty Shepler is on a heck of a run this year. Four wins in the last two and a half months, plus barely losing in a playoff this past weekend, which would have been his second straight major win. I think most people are thinking he's the runaway best player on tour right now, but his best friend, the guy he lost to in the playoff, Sam Burns is number two in the FedEx Cup standings. He's won three times now this season, has seven top tens. Sam Burns is putting together a pretty strong season in his own right.
0: Yeah, a couple of 25-year-old American stars who uh, were housemates during the Masters tournament, by the way. And Sam Burns hung around there to to uh, greet uh, Scotty Shuffler when he was able to win that green jacket. And it's been fun to watch these two young players who, gosh, you want to talk about two players that really don't have any weaknesses. They hit the ball well. They have wonderful short games. They putt beautifully. I remember having a conversation with John Fields, the head coach at the golf school for uh university of texas and this was before scotty ever won on the pga tour and, and he told me damon scotty has the it factor like duval and tiger and jack and beast and i'm i'm like transcribing and i'm typing furiously and feverishly and i'm thinking wait a second this is just school pride talking this is before he ever won in phoenix and, and now here we are a few months later i'm like man maybe john was on to something when he said that he has a short game that rivals the best to ever do it and that it's only a matter of time. And this was pre-first TGA Tour win, and now you look at what he's done. A winner in Phoenix, a winner at one of the most important events of the season, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and of course the World's Off Championship event, the match play, and then the Masters, and now a runner-up finish at Colonial, not far from where he grew up. So I think Scotty Scheffler, He's here to stay. We know that professional careers can be complicated. Golf even more complicated than that. But he's someone who seems to have a good head on his shoulders, uh, lots of good family around him. I've actually chatted with his parents at the Ryder Cup. His dad just so thrilled uh, about Scotty Scheffler being at Wisconsin, a part of that American team. And I think we'll see both Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns representing the U.S. Uh, for President's Cup and Ryder Cups to come as well.
1: And, Damon, after all the Bryson DeChambeau talk last year and the tremendous transformation of his body, all the weight gain, the swing speed, the long driving contest, and as people predicted, his body has now started to break down. He's only played in a handful of tournaments this year. He's missed three cuts in five tournaments when he's able to start playing again. Do you think we'll see him with the same style, the swinging out of his shoes, or do you think he's realized that the body just isn't made to handle the torque that he was putting on?
0: Yeah, I think this has been a, a teaching moment for, for Bryson DeChambeau on a lot of levels, the physical aspect of the game. He is not a world-long drive guy. I mean, he can dabble with the Kyle Brookshires and the Maurice Allens uh, from time to time, the Tim Burks. But I think to have a long-lasting PGA Tour career, someone who needs his hands. I mean, I think about Tiger and talking about uh, those three months in a hospital bed uh, after the car accident, he was like, where are my golf clubs? I just want the club in my hands, the fingers, the hands, feel, feels are everything to a golfer. And for him to have this hook of the hammate surgery on his hand and obviously the, the swing speeds he's generated are, are part of that. He has added weight, speed and body mass to, to a frame that was a lot much, uh, much more wispy when he was at SMU. Winning an NCAA title, winning a U.S. amateur, he was already a PGA Tour winner. I think it was fun while it lasted, uh, The you know, driving over the par 5-6 at, at Bay Hill and, and taking on some shots. But I think for, for his longevity, he and his coach, Chris Como, probably have to dial things back a little bit. Chris told me uh, last year that they always had kind of the, the style of putting down those pebbles you know, so they could find their way home you know, a la Hansel and Gretel, that they would never do something to his golf swing where they didn't feel there was a way home. So I'm going to be fascinated to watch what the next few months look like for Bryce. He's in the field this week. Of course, he's a U.S. Open champ from a couple of years ago at Wingswood, wants to be as healthy as he can be outside of Boston. But I just don't think this this method of of swinging 200 miles per hour ball speed is going to be uh, able to sustain him into his 40s, and as we can watch these PJ Tour players, they're competing and winning in their 40s. Tiger's done it. Phil's done it. VJ did it. I think uh, if Bryson wants to be one of those players, in all-time great longevity is a huge part of that puzzle. I think it's been a teaching moment for him. The less turbulent on the golf course and off, the better for Bryson DeChambeau in 2022.
1: Last fall, you hosted a Q and A session with the Corda sisters. What was it like for you to get to spend time with them? It didn't suck.
0: <laughs> Chris, <laughs> it was pretty fun. I, I, and they're two, they're two delightful <laughs> young women. First of all, beautiful, funny, um, just two great players. To be able to sit down with them and pick their brains on their friendship, on their sisterhood, how much of a supporter. Uh, big sister Jessica is for Nellie, uh, the younger sister. And Jessica, kind of like Venus uh, to Stina, was saying, wait till my younger sister gets out on tour and wait till you see what she can do. And so glad that Nellie's feeling healthy. She's uh, in the field of the U.S. Women's Open after having that blood clot surgery. You're talking about someone who appeared to be the picture of health. And it just, you know, reminds all of us how fragile life is she was very, very happy to be back in the field. But yeah, just to talk to those two about the champion uh ship pedigree they have their brother Sebastian Corda, one of the best tennis players in the world, just competing out at the French Open. We'll see him at Wimbledon. They of course the son of Peter Corda, a major champ from the tennis world as well. I just love the fact that nothing seems too big for that family, you know, while others might be nervous, uh, they get to have the, the companionship of, of the sibling on the LPGA tour to share the highs and lows of golf, the challenges to share a meal. They told me they don't talk much golf when they're together. Sometimes they do, but for the most part, it's about having someone just that uh, that looks like them that can relate to the to the ups and downs. Have a travel partner, a shopping partner, a dinner companion, and it's almost like an unspoken safety net that they know that they have the others back and I just love the fact that much like Venus and Serena where people would ask well how competitive are you what's it like trying to beat your sister you know they are sisters they are blood uh, before they are LPGA players and of course when they're inside the ropes they want to win but man the support that they have for one another the hug that Jessica gave Nelly after Nelly won that Olympic gold medal outside Tokyo those are the images that come to mind they're like that on TV They're like that in person and what wonderful assets they are to the LPGA and professional golf.
1: And speaking of late last year, you celebrated a milestone birthday at the end of December. What's it like now being able to go out and play on the Champions Tour?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, Stephen Alker and Bernard Langer, uh, I'm coming for them with Tom Patrick's (laughs) help. I can tee it forward now, which is great. I I can say to my buddies that are a little younger that want to hit from the black and the blue tees, I'm going to... Be, you know, hitting from the white tees, which is just fine with me. Um, yeah, you know, I'll be getting my AARP card, I imagine, in the mail <laughs> at any day coming up soon. So uh, the early bird discount at Denny's as well. There's <laughs> lots to look forward to north of 50, Chris. <laughs> Good for you, David. I'm happy for you, my friend. David, one more oh, before I let you go. I
1: get, speaking of blood, I always uh, like to hear how how are your boys doing. I like uh, seeing the family pictures that you post on Instagram. How's the family?
0: Oh, uh, they're terrific. It it is so fun being a dad. I I uh, was down in South Florida with my wife and boys last week. My boys, uh, despite all of my urgings and Golf Channel being on the, on the television twenty four seven, they've become pretty good little tennis players. And, and we were down in South Florida where they were. Uh, working with Todd Whittem, who's a fantastic tennis teacher who has a bunch of junior players. So they spent their Memorial Day weekend, you know, playing some tennis, but then I got to take them to a water park. We met up with some friends in Orlando. They are just fun. They're, they're about to turn 11 years of age. They're still in that kind of sweet spot where they think mom and dad are pretty cool. Uh, my boys still hold my hand sometimes when we walk. I rode the water slide with them and as much as it's cool being on TV and and playing some golf from time to time. There's nothing better than being a dad. I just absolutely am pickled and blessed and thankful to have three boys that are sports-crazed as I am, born you know, one minute apart, about to celebrate the 11th birthday. Uh, Good young men, good students. Uh, They're eating us out of house and home. We can't keep the milk and the cereal and all those things uh, as easy as we used to. But, man, it's fun being a parent, and it's fun being their dad.
1: That's awesome. Good for you, Damon. Before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can see you on the golf channel and then follow you on social media as well.
0: Yeah, I'm co-hosting Golf Today these days, formerly Morning Drive, now Golf Today, and um not as active as I have been on Twitter because uh, Twitter can be a little bit dangerous sometimes. Everybody seems so angry these days, but I occasionally show up on uh, Twitter at G C and also at DamonHacksGC on Instagram. And if your listeners are into wine, I have a Instagram page uh, at Goat and Grapes, which, of course, the uh, goats being the greatest of all time, kind of an intersection between sports figures and wine. And I actually have a cool uh, conversation coming up uh, with uh, a book publisher. I may actually be able to finally put my love of wine and sports together uh, for a book sometime down the road. So very excited about my uh, hobby, of course, which is, uh you know, tasting some good Barolo or Cabernet Sauvignon from time to time.
1: Good for you. I look forward to that. Damon, it's always great having you as part of the show, my friend. It, it, it's informative, and it's a lot of fun. We laugh, and that, that that makes a great segment. So I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show. I'm already looking forward to next time.
0: Chris, you're the, the brightest light on Twitter, and one of the brightest lights that I've known in this game. Your positivity is infectious on social media and on this show as well. So thank you for having me on. Look forward to our next chat.
1: Take care, Damon. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. And you, Chris. Thank you, Damon.
0: That's a great Damon hack, folks.
1: Again, at Ghosts and Grapes on, uh, on Instagram. And, and like you said, at, at Damon Hack GC, you can find him on Instagram and periodically on Twitter. Just a finer human being. And Tom Patrick pointed this out a couple of segments ago. Just one of the finest human beings you'll find anywhere, not only in the sports world, but just in the world, period. Damon is a is a wonderful uh, friend and he's a, he's a great guest and he always makes me laugh and I always learn an awful lot gaining from his insights from his years uh both writing about sports and then being a big part of it at the Golf channel so I can't wait to have him back on the show again soon uh boy it's just i I'm grinning from ear to ear for the time that I got to spend with him so that says all you need to know about how great Damon hack is all right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Jane Blaylock, Tom Patry, Jeff Tracy, and Damon Hack for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are one of the all-time great ball strikers, Tim Simpson, will be back, as will 1991 Open champion Ian Baker Finch. I'll also be joined by two great caddies out on tour, Paul Tessori and our good friend Kip Henley. So folks, it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, podcast.co, Audioboom, player.fm and Podbean as well. Please check out our website next on the net to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus we've got links there to recent episodes and individual guest segments. So whether you've got 2 hours or 20 minutes. We've got some great content on this site for you. Folks, I can't thank you all again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I know you've got a lot of great podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful that you're making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.